Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read a couple verses uh, from this familiar account of Jesus' birth. And we're going to talk about something that I think is very interesting. My title for tonight's message might seem a little bit uh, quaint or whatever you want to call it. It's called The Terrible Search, The Arrival Fallacy, and True Joy. Now, a lot of that may not make sense to you at the moment, but I hope it will as we go through the text and also go through what the Word says to us. Let me read two verses and then we'll jump into what I want to talk about tonight. I'm going to read verses 10 and 11 of Luke chapter 2. This is, as the angel is appearing unto shepherds in the fields, and the angel said unto them, verse 10, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. These, of course, are extremely familiar verses to many of us, especially around this time of year. We break out these verses seemingly at December every year, and uh, we put them away after that for some reason. But we are so familiar with these verses, we can almost kind of read them without even really reading them. Uh, It's Christmas time. Uh, supposedly, as the song says, the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, Sometimes we can feel that, I suppose. Uh, But I also was reflecting on how oftentimes Christmas is also not the most wonderful time of the year just because of all of perhaps the uh, family that is not with us. It reminds us of the times when we were with family and reminded now of these family members who are long gone, perhaps many years ago, perhaps very fresh for us. And I was thinking of just how ironic it is that an entire season, a holiday season that is, is filled with countless invitations to be joyful is sometimes anything but joyful if we let it get into our heads, reminding us of all those things that are Tragic, the loss, perhaps, the rejection, the failure, the things that we wish we could fix or go back and change. Sometimes we can sing those songs. I was thinking about how many carols there are that invite us to be joyful. The one, how great our joy, or the most famous, joy to the world, or the one we sung this morning, joyful, joyful, we adore you. We're seemingly bombarded with this idea, hey, at Christmas time, you have to be joyful. (laughs) And it coalesces with scripture because the angel comes here and says, I am bringing you great or glad, good tidings, I should say, of great joy. Which, if we have to stop and think, I I would want to stop and ask, what is This great joy that we are being invited into. What is this joy that is being brought to us? It's not simply the announcement of Jesus' of this birth. Of course, it includes all who Jesus is. But what's this meaning here? What does it mean that Jesus has brought us in and of himself this good tidings of great joy? What does it mean to be joyful? What does it mean to sing joy to the world? It's not just being happy and putting on a smiling face. If that were the case, we could do that pretty easily. We could fake it. We could fake it through the Christmas season. 
If that's what it meant to be joyful. And in fact, if you look up the word joy in a dictionary, that's how it will be defined. It's defined as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Which is, I don't think, what Jesus is bringing to us. He's not just bringing a feeling of happiness. That's not what he brings with him when he comes to this earth. Personally, I think joy, we have to see it here and throughout the New Testament as being defined as a total satisfaction with our current situation. Joy is, I would say, mostly filled with two other words, which are contentment. Joy is being content. It's no longer uh, longing for some sort of greener grass that's away from you. No longer yearning for something extra or more that is supposedly going to make you happy. You are happy with what you have been given, with what you have. But also this other modern word that is being thrown around a lot, which I, I like, but it's, kind of, it's a concept that I think we have to talk about, which is the idea of enoughness. You're content with what you have and what you are is enough. There's this idea, this enoughness that we all feel, perhaps, that we are all longing for. This idea that we are not enough. We don't have enough this or that fill in the blank. And I think it's a concept that's linked intricately to the joy, especially the joy that Jesus brings. Enoughness, if you look it up, is, as is defined on the internet at least... As a state or condition of being enough. Either that means in your marriage, in your relationships, in your job, and how you feel personally. How you feel in your, in your life. You feel everything is up to a certain level that you feel that it is enough. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else is wanted, uh, excuse me, or I should say, for this happiness. And I think we, should, we can say this, that people everywhere are looking for enoughness. Which is to say, people everywhere are looking for true joy. You can just look at people's lives And I would say this, that the history of mankind itself, going from Genesis 1 till right now, is the history of man's groping after making his own joy. Finding his own fulfillment, his own peace, his own freedom, his own happiness, his own enoughness. Ever since the fall, he's been striving after this. Ever since Genesis 3, mankind has been trying to find all of these things and never finding it. I think of, let me, uh, go with me quickly to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. In Ecclesiastes, we have, of course, the famous account of King Solomon and his testimony. And in fact, you could even say that here in 12 chapters, we have Solomon's own first-hand account Of him looking for being enough. His own account of him striving and searching high and low in this avenue and that for that feeling of enoughness. And look at what he says. (laughs) The opening words to this book have always startled me. Because look at what he says. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity 
of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. (laughs) He doesn't mince words, he just gets straight to the point. He says throughout this book, I have done everything, I've pushed everything to its nth degree, to the very limits of what I can push it to. And I found that nothing in this life can bring you that feeling of enoughness. Can bring you true joy. This is Solomon. He's testifying of the things that do not fill him. Look at verse 14 of the same chapter. He says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Why is that vexation of spirit? Why is his soul crying out? Because he's tried a million and one different things. And none of them fill him. None of them satisfy him. None of them make him feel like he is enough and has enough. Nothing brings him true joy. And why? I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that's okay. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. This is one of the most profound verses, I think, in the entire scriptures. Solomon here testifies. He says in verse 11 of chapter 3, He hath made, being God, God hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work of God, the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Literally, that phrase there means he has implanted eternity into the heart of man. He has put a God-sized hole into the human heart. You want to know why nothing ever filled up Solomon's life? Because he was looking for things temporal that only things eternal can fill. And ever since Genesis 3, this has been the thought of man. This has been the deception that we have all believed in since that great and ruinous fall. That we can be our own gods and make our own joy. That we don't need someone else to give it to us. That we can fabricate our own enoughness, our own joy. You look at nearly every single scientific endeavor in all of man's history. And they've all been uh, attempts to prove or justify his existence apart from God. It's his primary mandate. Why? Because if God isn't in the picture, then he doesn't have anyone to answer to. In so doing, he's pushed away the source of joy. As we have pushed God out of schools, out of businesses, perhaps even out of churches in some areas. (laughs) They've pushed away the very one who has said that he has come to bring us joy. It reminds me of Isaiah 53 verse 6 where it says that we have all gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. We've all turned to our own different ways, our own different avenues of making our own joy. And what has that resulted in? Nothing but chaos. (laughs) Nothing but stress and distress and mayhem. And ever since Genesis 3, we've been looking for that. That thing that can fill us. We've been looking for true joy. And I guess what? We're still searching for it in and of ourselves. It reminds me of this fascinating uh, quote from a French physicist and mathematician from the 1600s. His name was Blaise Pascal. And he says this, 
All men seek happiness. This is the motive of every action of man, even of those who hang themselves. And what is he asserting there? The troubling truth that even the people who are taking their own lives, they're in their own way, they are chasing joy. They've just been deceived into thinking that this is what's going to give it to them. It's a startling reality, but this is the truth of it all. That man is seeking after joy. You want a real life example of this? Well, uh, this past August was the fifth anniversary. Anniversary is a silly word to say there. But the fifth year since the death of famed actor and comedian Robin Williams. Robin Williams, of course... Mostly perhaps known for his voice acting in the Disney movie Aladdin. He committed suicide in 2014 by hanging himself in his room. This, of course, is Robin Williams, the successful, acclaimed comedian. Who had so much going for him, especially in terms of his career. And the scary part is, he had no drugs or alcohol in his system. Meaning it was a premeditated, thoughtful decision to end his own life. Which always leads me to ask, why? Why did he do it? Many people have struggled over that. It was known at the time that he had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And it came out later, when they did an autopsy uh, after his death, that he had been suffering from a condition called diffuse Lewy body dementia which can actually cause Parkinson's, memory loss, sleep loss, and sleep disorders and hallucinations. Perhaps many have been saying that he just couldn't cope with that reality, that now his body was failing him. I think how sadly ironic that this man who spent his entire career giving joy to crowds and laughter couldn't find it himself. He couldn't find true joy in his own life. He was desperate for it. I feel for that man and many others. And his life is a tragic testimony which breaks the logic of having more things will equal more satisfaction. More stuff doesn't always equal more joy. It actually probably means the opposite of that. Which leads me to say this, a couple of other sort of real world examples we might say. Fame cannot give you joy. Fame cannot bring you this enoughness. There's this amazing quote from another comedian, ironically enough, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, he said this one time. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Jim Carrey said that. So they can see that it's not the answer. They can see that it doesn't fill, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fulfill, it doesn't fill that God-sized hole that's in their life. These, the celebrities that uh, are always in front of us, being paraded as having it all and having everything, but they don't. They just have tragedy and heartache Just look at every single 2020 documentary they put out on ABC. What is it about? It's about a celebrity who had a tragic fall. It's sad. 
Because they're propped up as living fulfilled lives, but their lives are mostly unfulfilled, mostly joyless. I feel for every single one of them. It's not just Robin Williams hanging, Heath Ledger taking his life by overdosing, or Junior Seau, the incredible linebacker from the Miami Dolphins and many other teams, shot himself. You want a depressing couple minutes? Look at the Wikipedia page for suicides in the 21st century. You'll be scrolling for quite a while. Fame can't give you joy. Especially not the joy that Jesus brings you. But let me read you another passage. Because it also proves another thing. Success. Which is also in uh, in part of fame. But it's not exactly the same. Success cannot give you joy. And for that, let me read you this incredible, insightful quote from none other than New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. You may have heard this before. Tom Brady, of course. He says, this was a couple of years ago, so I'm going to change his number here because he says, why do I have three, and now it's six? Why do I have six Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. This is the testimony from six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady. The one who is wealthy, and we might even say (laughs) good-looking, who has a fantasy life, a wife who is a supermodel, several kids, cars... Houses, he is ultra successful. And what does he say? This can't be what it's all is cracked up to be. This can't be all there is. There has to be something more. The guy that we might see has it all is saying that he doesn't have it all. There's still something missing. It's because success cannot give you what your soul craves. He is still joyless. He is still searching. And it reveals, I think, the terrible results of mankind's search for lasting joy. But this is the testimony of Tom Brady. He's still joyless and he's still searching. Again, which reveals that this terrible search of man is just that. It's a terrible, fruitless, futile, endless search. As long as he is searching for something here and now to give him joy, he's going to come up empty-handed. He's going to come up with nothing in the end. So we can never find anything here in this life, on this earth, that can give us joy. Just think about it. You think fixing your body, pretending that it's something that you can fix and control... What will eventually happen? It will always break down. Think about how many people spend their entire lives perfecting their bodies. And what happens to them all? They will always pass away. Or think about trying to spend your life finding, quote, the one. That feeling perhaps might leave. Or perhaps they will leave. Perhaps they will pass away. And you will be without that one. Or perhaps you can, you can think of it as filling your life with pleasure. Many 
today are trying to fill this God-sized hole in their life by chasing things that will fill them for perhaps a moment, but it's fleeting at that. These things in this life were never meant to fill you, to give you enoughness, to give you joy. They're like square pegs being forced into a round hole. They just don't fit. And guess what? They weren't meant to. They weren't meant to fit there. They shout for something more. They shout that there's still something else, just like Tom Brady, that there's got to be something else greater than this. Experts, I I found this amazing passage. Experts in the secular world, they have given a really fancy name for this. It's called the arrival fallacy, which sounds kind of, you know, new agey and cool. But listen to this incredible statement from a secular person, not making a religious statement. Listen to what he says. The, quote, arrival fallacy is the reason some Hollywood stars struggle with mental health issues and substance abuse later in life. These individuals start out unhappy, but they say to themselves, it's okay, because when I make it, then I will be happy. But then they make it. And while they may feel briefly fulfilled, the feeling doesn't last. Now, they're unhappy. But more than that, they're unhappy without hope. Because before, they lived under the, the, illusion, the illusion that once they make it, then they'll be happy. And the problem is that achievement doesn't equal happiness. I think that is fascinating. That they too have seen this. That achievement doesn't equal what they think it will give them. It doesn't equate to giving them joy, lasting happiness. Even in their rudimentary definition of joy, it doesn't even give them that. And yet they still chase it. This to me is directly a scheme from Satan. Satan deals, we might say, in if-thens. If-then conditional statements. That if this thing happens, then I will be joyful. That if this thing uh, occurs, once I have it, once that occurs, once I achieve blank, then I will be happy. It's very dangerous to get caught in those conditionalities. Caught into their webs of, of what they promise Of promising us joy. Once I have this job. Once I have this person in my life. Once I have this whatever. It's coming from Satan. He deals in those conditionalities. Those if-thens. And the thing too. I was thinking about this. These things that people are chasing to fill them. They all have lifespans. Think about an actor. One bad movie. Can ruin his career. And then all that he has chased and dreamed and longed after can totally kill it. Or think about for an athlete. One injury can stop them from ever playing again. And all that they have built their entire lives. Centered their lives around. Is gone. People are searching for something that's timeless. That doesn't have a lifespan. They're searching for something that won't wear out like their knees. (laughs) Something more than their knees. They're searching for true joy. This is the longing of every single person that has ever existed. 
Every person who has ever lived has been searching for God. They just don't know it. And they've been looking in all the wrong places. And God has made us this way. Again, going back to Ecclesiastes 3.11. He's put the world in our hearts. The early church father Augustine, he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. This is what we were made for. We were created to find our joy in Jesus, Jehovah God alone. And such brings us back to Luke chapter 2. Because this is the very message that the angel is bringing. He's bringing this good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And what is it? It's that Christ alone is the center and source for all of our peace and fulfillment and joy, all of that that we crave. He is it all in and of himself. And apart from him, it will always be out of reach. It will always be a terrible, futile search. Which brings me back again to our French friend, Blaise Pascal, who says this in the same passage. There was once in man a true happiness, of which there now remained to him only the mark and empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings. But these are all inadequate, because the infinite abyss in his soul can only be filled by an equally infinite and immutable object, that is to say, only by God himself. The thing that Solomon was talking about, the world that's implanted in your heart by God, it can only be filled by God. It can only be filled by this one who has made you and called you who you were made to be. And such is the angel's glad tidings. That this joy that comes to us, this angel's message, that our ruinous Futile searching for joy is over. Why? Because Jesus has come and he's brought his joy to us. He's brought it. Why? Because he is the joy that he gives. He himself. In the incarnation, it's the announcement that God has come to give us his joy. Not, again, notice, it's not conditioned with an if-then conditional statement. It's just here. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He has come to bring you His joy, His enoughness. His filling. It reminds me of Psalm 1611. Which says thou wilt show me the path of life. For in thy presence is fullness of joy. Or it reminds me of what this very savior would say later on in his own ministry. In John chapter 15 verse 11. Where he declares these things have I spoken unto you. That my joy might remain in you. And that your joy might be full. My joy might be in you. I have come to bring you joy. How does he do it? 
by redeeming us from sin and restoring us to our true joy. This is the mission of the gospel. It's not just that we're saved from sin, yes, but he has restored everything to how it ought to be. He restores our joy. He redeems us by giving us his righteousness and he restores our joy by giving us himself. He is the God that fits into our God-sized hole in our hearts. And anything else we try and fit there will only leave us empty. God leaves us full. God leaves us full. Nothing can bring us joy like Jesus can. Where people will fail you, Jesus is faithful. Where pleasure escapes you, Jesus will satisfy you always. Where religion perhaps might exhaust you, Jesus gives you rest. And where sin enslaves you, Jesus frees you. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of this angel. This is the message of Christ. That there's no other God replacement, no other joy substitute that can fill that void in your heart and in your soul. Only what God has done, will do, and is doing right now can give you this joy that you seek. This joy that you long for. This joy that the angel has promised. It reminds me, let me read you another verse from Ecclesiastes. You can go back there if you want to. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 again. Solomon makes this a similar statement here. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 14. He says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. This is what God is for us. He's doing all these things for us in our lives. Showing us that he is the only one that is worthy of all of our attention and trust and devotion. And remember... We said that this is the testimony of Solomon. He's trying all these things. Searching for enoughness. For joy. And what is his conclusion? You flip to the end of the book. (laughs) He tries all of these things. He pushes them to their limits. And he says let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is chapter 12 verse 13. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. He boiled down everything to fear God and keep his commandments. Trust in him and obey him. Trust and obey this God who gives us his joy. Not in all these things that Solomon was seeking, but in himself, in God himself. This is what God has come to do. He has come to give us his joy. He has come to give us His enoughness. He has come to end our terrible searching. That we might find it in himself. Find it in this God who redeems us. Who as it says in Isaiah 43 verse 25. Who blotteth out all thy transgressions for mine own sake. And will not remember thy sins. (laughs) What an incredible testimony. That this God has come to give us his joy by blotting out and never more remembering the sins which brought him here in the first place. This 
is the, to me what elevates the meaning of Christmas. It's not just that an angel came and we can sing about it. It's not just that we put our nativity scenes up and we can uh, look at them and, and feel something inside of us. Again, this joy that we feel that we are invited into is not a, just a feeling of pleasure or happiness. It's the joy of God himself. That everything is done. That it is finished. The joy that Jesus brings is the joy of knowing that everything is done and sealed by his blood. No more striving. No more looking. No more searching for something else. It's in him. It's in him alone. That brings extra meaning when you watch Charlie Brown's Christmas. And they read the Christmas story. (laughs) It might be cute, but it has a lot more meaning than just Charlie Brown finding the meaning of Christmas. It's the baby has come to die so that we might be joyful, so that we might know what the meaning of that word is, so that we might be joyful in him forever. The search is over because Jesus has found us. He has come to us and he has come to give us His joy. Let us pray.